You're listening to Dr. Lana and Detective David Love. The Universal Soul Love Show. The Universal Soul Love Show. Increase spiritual awareness. The Universal Soul. Universal Soul. Advanced personal growth and development. Explore the hidden mysteries of the universe. The divine feminine essence and the sacred masculine source. The universal soul Promote the message of universal love. The universal soul love Hello, this is Universal Soul Love. I'm Detective David Love. And I'm Dr. Lana Love. Welcome to our show. Our show, Universal Soul Love, is an internet talk show that uh, focuses very much on spirituality, man's place on earth, the new earth, uh, perhaps uh, the ability to form a new way of life that would be better Mm -hmm. and the ability to perhaps raise the vibration of humanity to a higher level, which is something we very much need nowadays. We certainly do. And today we're here doing an impromptu interview at Ethereum Eco Village in Australia. We're very excited to have our special guest, Taylor, with us, who's very knowledgeable in the ringing cedar models, which is a type of self-sustainable living community model that we're very interested in that that, uh, Ethereum Eco Village uh, promotes. So we're here to uh, talk about that today. Welcome to our show, Taylor. Taylor's also very knowledgeable about permaculture. Yes. So The Ringing Seed is a series of 10 books, which was written by a a Russian author, Vladimir Meager, who, he was a Siberian trader, and uh, Vladimir supposedly met Anastasia, who is a very beautiful, spiritually evolved uh, woman living in uh, the deep in the forests of Russia who always runs naked and uh, (laughs) uh, is able to be very deeply connected with nature and comes up with some incredibly deep and profound and mind-blowing truths about suggested ways in which mankind should live rather than the way that uh, we live currently, so about how we should be living connected with nature. And, of course, we've had many shows about the condition of the planet and talking about the solutions, possible solutions, and we've had many guests on our show discussing these these things, climate change and global conflict, and uh, also we've shared lots of great ideas on universal soul love. I don't know a lot about ringing cedars, but I'm very interested in hearing more about it, so let's get into it. So perhaps, Taylor, you could tell us a little bit about when you started reading about the ringing cedars and what uh, the profound effect it's had on your life. Yes, I found the ring seers while studying a permaculture course. First heard about them during the course and I later on found them in a bookshop and um, didn't quite catch me at first. And then later on I, I was in the bookshop again and I picked up the, I think it was the fourth or the fifth book and that's when it, I really started to get into it and began to read through the whole series. I mean, it does captivate quite a bit because it's written as a as a story. It's a captivating but, story. Yeah, but we don't know whether Anastasia actually exists or not, but uh, I think, Taylor, you mm. think that she must exist because of the quality of the content. Mm. Yeah, and the effect that it's had on people, mm. including myself, as far as wanting to basically just changes your whole understanding of not only history but family and religion and sexuality and nature and just everything because it's it's quite profound I guess but it, it takes time it evolves as you read the books because mm. Vladimir meets her and then he he goes away and then he comes back and actually has a child to her when he first meets her a little bit after he first meets her and then he comes back and the child's growing and and all through this time she yeah. She basically teaches him more and more profound wisdoms, mm. doesn't she? Yeah, and it sort of expands on the same kind of themes through the book. One of them, which is divine nutrition, which is this idea of eating without thinking. Mm. Mm. 
So she describes it as the way that God intended us for us to eat, which is basically from nature directly. And there's a reason everything ripens on the trees as it does at the time mm. that it does, because it's the optimum time for us to have that food. And basically, we don't need to think about eating. We can actually just eat purely intuitively as we go walking through our garden. And this is the whole concept, basic like idea of the book is to create gardens for ourselves and for our family and to pass those gardens on to our children and for their children to receive, to pass it on to their children. So it becomes our homeland, so to speak, which is something that we've all lost, I think. It's a very, very different concept of eating from what we have It now. sounds like we, I'm getting the sense that we overcomplicate things and instead of just following what the Creator has given us, the divine plan, and just following Mother Nature, which I think is, Mother Nature is quite good at when you look at the life and you look at the complexity of it, the intricacy of everything, clearly we're sort of going against what's natural and not, and it, there's a much simpler well, the, path that we can follow. Yeah, and there's a, there's a reason why we have these schedules put on us. Mm. It's because it suits someone else's needs mm. for us to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner because we can work in between or we can go to school between those times, even though it's, we might not necessarily be hungry at lunchtime. It's lunchtime, so we should be eating, right? <laughs> it's an artificial system, which is basically this belief that we've created. Or, I mean, the whole system itself is, is artificial and mm. basically Anastasia is just taking away what's artificial and just leaving us with what, what's real and basically with nature mm. and just sort of pointing at what's the most important thing. And I guess in regards to whether Anastasia is real or what the reality of Anastasia's presence on this planet is, I think we've concluded you know, prior to the show and talking about this, that uh, it's the message that's important. And it's sort of reminiscent of uh, Carlos Castaneda's books, whether or not Don Juan was a real historical figure or not, which isn't as so important as the, the message and the information that was given. And in fact, we're going to have George Neo on our show shortly as a special guest as well, who's been on our show in the past. And uh, we'll probably be discussing a little bit of that as well. But I think it's just that from what I'm gathering from what you're saying, it, it's more about, it's the... It's the message, the message. and also the movement. It is, I understand yes. the Ring Cedars series has actually sparked quite a, a profound mm. movement. And uh, you were telling You've us about, um, yeah, about Russia and, and how many how many people have been influenced by the books. Because mm. the, the book, I believe, promotes a particular way of having a garden and having a family and a community mm. living. Could you tell us a bit about that, Taylor? Yeah, so in Russia there's now close to 400 villages that have, a lot. Wow. have grown out, inspired by the Ring Cedar books. And not just in Russia, Ukraine and Belarus, there's quite a number, at least a couple hundred. And it's spreading through Europe and the rest of the world. I think the books are translated into 20 or 30 languages now and it's yeah it's really quite, quite a, movement. a significant movement and that's in the space of 20 years so that's sort of people say on oh, is Anastasia real and I, I kind of go well proof is in the pudding kind of <laughs> yes. thing like um, and the effects are pretty positive like I've actually visited one of the villages I was just and, about um, to ask you this um, yeah and it's it's a really beautiful place really? Um, yeah, there's a lot of freedom mm -hmm. for the children to, mm -hmm. to play and to, to be together, to run around. And people are very healthy, I have to say, like a lot healthier than I've seen people mm -hmm. in Western countries, mainly because of their lifestyle. But, um, yeah, it's really beautiful movement, and I hope that it spreads across the whole world. Because I, I wonder, I mean, villages, villages. villages are pretty, they're certainly sort of a big basis of of life in Russia, I wonder what how the the villages promoted by the Rinseeds are different mm. to the ordinary Russian. Yeah, I mean, can you comment on how, you know, yeah, how it, how people actually live and how this sort of plays out? Yeah, so the basic idea is each family receives a hectare, mm. buys a hectare, and they create their homestead, the family homestead. And the idea is to plant a garden and to plant a forest dig a pond to build a house and to create a, a living fence around the outside and to leave space around each hectare so that there's 
basically each hectare is sort of like a little cell in a body, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, they they don't sell their hectare, they just pass it to their children. Mm-hmm. And then their children can live there and pass it on or they can create their own homestead. And Anastasia talks about an ancient, an old culture that was spread across most of Europe. And this is basically how they live. Is that the ancient Vedic? Yeah, she refers to them as as Vedic, yeah. I mean, when I heard that, I, I thought it was interesting. And as I looked into language and the language tree, I saw that the even linguists say the same thing, that in Europe at one time there was one language spoken by pretty much all of Europe that they call Proto-Indo-European. Okay. So she says it's basically the same thing, that this culture spread across all of Europe. Mm. And it was slowly um, sort of, there's a, it's a long story, and most of the the deeper history that she goes into is in book six about how things changed over the time and how this system was set up even right back to ancient Egyptian times and how we've slowly been led out of our gardens, mm. literally, mm. and into another world that's now it's like Adam and Eve well, yeah. being, being uh, yeah, you know, I'd heard this as well from one of my guides was telling me, and sort of going off a bit off topic, I guess, but one of my guides had told me that a long time ago, I don't know, before pre-recorded history, that there was the common language. In fact, it wasn't even a, an official sort of worded language. Everyone spoke a sort of an unspoken language that I don't, I don't quite understand what it was I was told, but there was a common language and it was much simpler and things were understood perfectly without all the complications of the languages that we have. Anyhow, just out of curiosity, how does, um, so how does one of these communities work in terms of business and schooling yeah. and family life? So and a, pretty much all the villages create their own schools. Mm-hmm. The one that I visited had a, a school there. Some of the um, parents taught in school. There's homeschooling and there's also, they're trying to build their tourism at the moment and there's lots of festivals and gatherings happening all the time and they're bringing back a lot of the ancient, the old celebrations, celebrating the, the equinoxes, the solstice mm-hmm. and they have really lovely festivals happening all over Russia all the time and it's sort of like, as Anastasia paints it, the, the vision of Russia becoming this sort of garden state pretty much every family lives in their homestead. And that is the great sort of strength of the country because if you think about it, if a family is self-sufficient or is on their land and can provide for their own needs, Mm. they're strong. If they're not and they're dependent on welfare or they're dependent on all these artificial systems and anything affects those systems, That shock is felt through not only the family but through the whole state, the whole country. It's disempowering. You're giving your power away to someone else when you don't need to do that. So this is certainly a way of strengthening the individual Mm. and the family, growing their own food. Yeah, very much about self-sustainable living, which we certainly endorse and promote here. They had a gift in the village I visited. I think quite a few of the others, they have uh, gift shops. They make beautiful, incredible carved wooden everything, like spoons and Mm-hmm. forks and knives and bowls and little pieces and anything. It's all beautifully hand-wooden carved. Um, there's lots of wood carving. There's lots of handcrafts and beautiful embroidered clothes and a lot of folk crafts, mm-hmm. the old crafts, because Russia really has a strong mm. um, awareness of their heritage and sort of the older culture mm-hmm. that was there before Christianity because mm-hmm. they haven't really had like a lot of... Um, it's less. It's been less um, sort of influenced, changed over time from religion. I mean, it has, but it's it's sort it's of really pretty much the, the older culture. Perhaps. Yeah, I think so. But even that isn't quite what Anastasia is talking about, because there is a movement there that's like um, the old believers. But it's it's sort of it's even older than that in a sense. It's it's like what she calls the Vedic mm-hmm. um, people. I don't know if our listeners know this or if we talk about this much, but Lana Love has a Russian background ancestry. You speak fluent Russian. I do. Which I, I do. love. Yes, yes. Very no. proud of your Russian background. I've only visited one, uh, Russia on one occasion, but um, certainly it's just really lovely to 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 hear that, um, that the, the books are promoting a way of life that may have originated perhaps in, in Russia or perhaps be why it's 
spread throughout Europe. But um, yeah, really I've heard cool. a lot of your stories about Russia. Mm, so it's, mm, it's, mm. Um, I'm just wondering how. So how would how do people's beliefs and values and their ideologies fit into what sounds like an intentional community? From what I gathered, like there were people in that village that weren't really even readers that were maybe Christian or had some other belief system. But they're sort of all united, I guess, by wanting to create a self-sufficient home. It did seem like a little bit of a, a thing that can sort of loosen the strength of a community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, I mean, once you've read the books, you sort of understand why you want to create this, why you want to plant a tree, and what the significance of all of it is. And it's beautiful that it's owned by the, the family because uh, I know I mean, the, the village system is very widespread throughout the history of, of Russia, but, of course, it was used to be the, the wealthy landowners that would rent out the land and then the colhoses, the, the village system, was owned by the government, whereas now the people actually own the land, which is very different. So I'm just trying to check myself on this a bit because I know recently I talked to someone um, in this area who... They have a, it's a Christian type of intentional community and they share everything. They share their money, they share their resources and everything is, I don't know how they exactly do this, but this is not. This is a different, different model. It's different not that way. Yes, okay. yes. And I think we wanted, um, I think George was going to talk a little bit about, George and Nia, about the economic model. Yeah, I could uh, say a few words on yes. that. All right, well, we'd like to have George Neo so, step in as our guest. Okay. So now we'd like to introduce George Neo. Is a good friend of ours. Welcome, George. Thank you. So George has established Ethereum. Well, it's well, it's under it's um, under some construction. Under, uh, establishment. Yeah, people have come and, and go, but it's uh, the idea is that it's a work in progress. Yeah, it's land that we purchased uh, about ten years ago, and we didn't even know about ringing cedars back back then. But I've been inspired by a lot of other material uh, going right back to, uh, more than thirty. 30 years, talking about the blueprint for humanity and how civilization can live. Some of the early material was, was telling us that, you know, uh, the blueprint for humanity is to respect your, your fellow human being and, and your environment, uh, and that that model, it needs uh, a lot of intention, a lot of work, right? Don't, don't make the assumption that the intentional community is somewhere that you go and uh, you meditate for four hours, and when when the dinner bell rings, you go and have dinner. To put a lot of work into it, yes. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of intention of um, the entire group working together to um, provide uh, a collective energy Mm. because it's the collective that has the power. So, George, can you tell our viewers a little bit about the economic model? Yeah, yeah, and the, the other very strong influence, uh, there was a number of others, but uh, the other very strong influence is the, the Conversation with God book series, and particularly book number three, it describes how highly evolved beings organise their societies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's uh, pretty much the same model uh, as the earlier one that I encountered, and um, it pretty well matches the model brought out by the Ringing Cedars, uh, talking about how humans are supposed to live in collectives, in clusters, mm. where they can all contribute to the whole. You know, we're not meant to be isolated we, no. in a big city, are we? Are we? We're, we're meant right. to And the, the problem is uh, suburbia is a divide and conquer model, mm. right? Mm. And the nuclear family, yes. I, I could honestly say, is a bit of a disaster. Right? <laughs> that's sure. um, children, I think that's true because it takes a village to raise a child. That's right. yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but we are social beings and we need each other. People need other people. We're very much, yeah. you know... Yeah, in, in the um, the conversation with the God model, it talks about uh, that children were supposed to be raised by the entire village, mm. uh, and the reason is is the uh, young and strong children who the bear of the children are not yet mature enough to raise them. Right, so it's like children raising children. Right, it's giving the elders the highest honor by asking them to raise the children, while the the child bearers are busily uh, enjoying themselves, not just frivolously, uh, they're, be, they're being very creative and they're, they're creating a community uh, which is very powerful. 
you know, the elders are the, the wise ones, sort of thing, but they're the highest job that they are given is to raise the children. Now, in, in, in Russia, grandparents are revered and very important. They have to be. Yeah. Now, I was raised not just by my mother, but by my grandmother, and I was certainly raised in Russian culture. And certainly throughout Russian literature was as well, the, the grandparents are um, a very big feature, prominent in the Russian culture. And it's, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that this model that, um, of an intentional community that uh, we're talking about involves people of all ages um, perhaps contributing to the upbringing of the children. Yeah, well, a society just, that rejects its elders is a society that's doomed, uh, just like the other yes. way around, but the society that rejects its children is yes. also doomed. Mm. Uh, it has to be a collective whole. And we've had lots of, lots of verifications on that. One of the significant ones was... Um, in a movie called The Mind-Body Connection. And the first thing it said, oh, we've discovered that there's a mind and body connection. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we know, we've known about that for every Established uh, fact. Yeah, that's right. And, and then it gave me a surprise. It, it said there's a town in the US where there were no chronic diseases, right, and they couldn't work out why. And so they, they sent in a, a team of researchers. They're trying to find out why this particular town had no chronic diseases. And there was a lot of Italian influence, mm. but um, they found that uh, a lot of these Italian people were living in uh, large houses uh, with multiple families, uh, aunties, uncles, uh, mm. grandparents, children, mums and dads and all that. And so you had a collective, you know, you had a, a community collective similar to the model of uh, collectives which um, contribute to the whole, you know. Mm. And uh, over time, though, uh, that even that town adopted the suburban model and then the chronic diseases started to go up. Yeah. I like collectives. I'm not going to go into that right now, but that's another collectives. There's all kinds of collectives. Yeah. And Conversation with God goes into a lot of detail about disassembled uh, our uh, families mm. and our clans, and we've created these huge mega cities. Mm. And in, in a big city, you can be surrounded by millions of people, but you don't know anybody. But you're isolated. You're almost, you're you feel like you're non-existent. Yeah. And thing. because it's the divide and conquer model, mm. then everybody's under huge pressure to pay separate uh, separate services, separate rates, separate utilities, all this sort of thing. Uh, and you're not really responsible for the power that you're using mm. uh, because it comes from another... Um, the government takes care of everything. Well, the utility companies, or whoever. Uh, whereas the... The model of um, getting people in a collective mm. is they're all going to build each other's houses. So there's no it's more. It's much more cost no, effective, no, isn't no it? Banks are involved. Mm. You know, yeah. Everybody builds around, uh, each other's oh, houses. Oh, that makes um, sense. Uh, the the children are raised by the collective. Mm. You, know, you can have your on-site schools and all this sort of thing. Um, anyway, we we had all a lot of this uh, in our consciousness mm. and. We did our purchase uh, based on a lot of research and a lot of travelling, uh, and it went further and further north. And we love the Tablelands area. The temperature extremes are far less up here. So yeah. this is um, your your land Ethereum is in the New England area. Well, yeah, New England, uh, New South area. Wales, New South Wales in Australia. It became a, a much more suitable site for what we were trying to do. You know, we're inviting others to uh, to participate. Yeah. yeah, we only discovered the ringing cedars uh, six months into purchasing the land, and we thought, oh, yeah, what a great model. Mm. You know? uh, it gives you the best of both worlds. It, with, with the ringing cedars model, you have the westernised mind likes to be individual, right? And it, in your own domain, which might be a hectare or it might be two or three, whatever, you can be as individual as you like in creating your space of love, uh, creating your domain and sort of, sort of thing. But you're still part of a collective. It's, it's an interdependent model, and that's also very strong in the, the conversations with God material. So, so is, there, is there community land plus individual land? Well, you can set it up that way, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but the general idea is each family is self-sufficient within their homestead. Like, not really interdependent. Okay. Like there's community spaces. I mean, in Russia there was there's the common land where they have the festivals and yeah. they were building mm. 
businesses there, like a, a guest house. And but then each family's land was really their space to be self-sufficient. So if you have and strong families, then you have the a whole, strong community. But it's still interdependent uh, amongst um, all the other domains. In what way? Yeah, well, you, you know, particular domains might specialise in a particular uh, okay. produce. Okay. You know, not everybody has to be producing all their own. Mm. Uh, you know, because you, you've got a, you can have a barter system nice. uh, within the, uh, the village. And um, that was something I did see in the village there. Really? I guess it was really lovely too. Wow. We'd just be sitting on the balcony. Uh, I stayed with one of the families there. Mm-hmm. And neighbours would just come around with their kids. Oh, we brought you some milk. Oh, here's some milk. And yeah. they'd come in and they'd give them something they'd grown. And it was really oh. just, they really wanted to just visit each other. That's and fantastic. And, but they, because everyone's producing, they've all got stuff to give. Yeah. Some, one family had a cow, and not everyone kept a cow, right. um, so they yeah. had just tons of milk, and they'd just be bringing milk, or the family I stayed with had just tons of um, preserved mm. like, raspberry jam, so they were giving raspberry jam away. It, it sounds and like there was a lot of love in the community, you know, it was a lot of gifts. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. all just like a gift mm. home, because when you're, when you're working with the land and producing that in abundance, it's like there's so much. Yes, can I say something on that? that. Uh, the, the, the conversation with God Mold is very strong on humans living in interdependence with each other, right? Uh, we're neither dependent nor independent. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the most powerful model is interdependence. And, you know, what you're saying about we are the community members are producing, right? This is one of the problems with uh, Western economics. It defines us as consumers. I know. Nothing that's a, that's a problem in and of itself. The truth. Mm. Right? We, uh, we Western producers. Economic, yeah, that's right. We, we are actually producers. Of course, we do uh, consume, but we also produce. But if we call ourselves solely consumers, what do we have in the end? That's, that's what we are called. We need more and more and more. By a system uh, which is not in tune with the, the highest elements. Materialism. And when we are defined purely as consumers, mm. uh, and, and most people are not aware, you know, they, they, it's right through the education mm. system that we are consumers and the economic system, and that's how the government, the government mm. set things up and all that. And so we're kind of hypnotised mm. into the idea that we are consumers. And if we're just consumers, then obviously we need to be controlled. Mm. Well, we're also labor. We are laborers. We are a human resource. We hear that we have human resource departments because we are just a resource. Each person has a a certain talent. We have a dollar value to a corporation or to a government. Yeah, but we are producers, in which case... In reality. If you're you're just purely a consumer, then everybody is defined as being greedy mm. and wants everything for themselves. Nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. And, and that's also very strong in conversation with God, that mm. humans are actually very loving, interdependent yes. creatures, right? The definition that we are greedy mm. and selfish is not true. It's in your consciousness. Mm. You need mm. to get it we out. We need to change our thinking uh, drastically. And Well, the consequence of, of that sort of thinking is that... Um, we are competing for resources, and mm. there's no need for the competition. Mm. Uh, when you compete with resources, you're you're making a statement to the universe that there is not enough. A lack of deprivation, and that, and that creates a scenario mm. where um, we better get rid of some people. It's destructive thinking. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and I find this with a lot of people saying, "Oh, there's too many people in the world, yeah. and uh, we're going to, need to self-destruct because there's too many people." And I look at them and I say. Well, who would you like to get rid of first? <laughs> right. And that usually diffuses that yeah. that situation. Right? Yeah, that's uh, and that they come back down to earth. Well, maybe um, well, maybe we can learn to live together. Of course we can. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We've got to be producers and not consumers. And I love that, the idea that we are producers yeah. and creators. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we are creators. It gives producers. us we we are are creators. Creators. Our power. One of the most powerful mm. forces in the universe because mm. we are divine energy. Mm-hmm. We've forgotten that. We are creators. We are creative beings. And we need to step into our power. Yes. And that, that creates the, the idea of abundance, mm. uh, that we are producers, and so there is enough for everyone. Mm. There is no need for this population control no. stuff. In fact, 
even you could you could extrapolate that to what's happening on Earth now. Mm. The population is stabilizing as um, um, as we become more and more educated, and the population will naturally drop. It does not mm. need to be controlled. No. Yeah, the, the ladies are only having two and a bit babies these days instead of eight, nine, ten. You know, and that's changed. That's throughout uh, nearly every religion and nearly every culture. Well, that's certainly good news for it the is. world, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, we, we always talk about, we're always talking about the global issues and social issues on this show. And, and you know, I, I, I took a brief tour, surfed the internet, and I found so many great solutions that people, individuals, and organizations have been coming up with. And um, just, you know, the idea of desalinization being perfected and ways of dealing with um, flooding and... Um, free energy devices that have been coming to light and um, all and cryptocurrency, digital assets. I mean, and, and all sorts of allocation of resources and intentional communities and eco-villages, sustainable communities are popping up all over the world. So we want to focus on solutions, not on the problems. I mean, when you focus on the problem, you're getting stuck in the problem. And we need to get out of the problem. Yeah, they've, they've made... For example, carbon, the culprit. Now, hang on a sec. You know, carbon is essential to life, mm. and if you really want to do away with carbon, well, doing away with ourselves, permaculture will put it back in the soil. So don't worry so much. And besides, termites probably produce more carbon than humans, uh, and you're not going to stop them. You know, and you'd be you'd be, you'd be uh, suicide for the planet to, oh, to we, kill all the termites. Are we carbon-based beings as well? Yeah, but termites recycle the, um, the timber in the, in the forest and all this, and they, they produce carbon. And it's essential to life because the plants use it for food, right? And so they, from what I've seen, they've noticed that um, over time, as the carbon has gone up, yeah, no doubt it has gone up, mm -hmm. uh, the, the planet seems to be getting greener from the satellites, mm -hmm. you know, it's because there's more food for the plants. It doesn't necessarily produce global warming mm -hmm. uh, because clouds are a, a far, uh, you know, water vapour is, is a far stronger uh, greenhouse gas than, than carbon dioxide. You know, carbon dioxide is a little, tiny little bit, but, but why is why is this situation happening? Why have we got this great paranoia about carbon, mm -hmm. uh, car carbon dioxide? Part of what we've seen in, in the alternative uh, world, mm -hmm. uh, main uh, media world, is that... Um, it's a tool to put people, masses of people, into fear. And it's very effective. And it's been very effective. Mm. And fear fear is very fear, disabling, isn't it? For sure. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, there's no excuse for the pollution, of course. You know, mm. we are polluting the planet. Mm. Uh, but why make carbon the culprit when it's essential to life? It's just a, a trace gas. But any fear-based well, I, I don't know if you agree with all I've just said. Well, I was just going to say, I think yeah. it's a lot worse. Um, carbon monoxide than carbon dioxide. Mm. The stuff that's coming out of exhaust. Exhaust fumes. I mean, yeah. if you think of the way we've designed our settlements with everyone living next to roads within range of these highways and yeah. roads, mm. density, and now in the cities, they're increasing the density. So we're basically just poisoning everyone yeah. Yeah. Um, by the settlement design. And this is why we need to completely change our patterns of settlement, yeah. let people settle rural lands mm. and make monoculture cropping land now that's actually really unproductive the way it's done yeah. and let people create homesteads there because that's the best soil we have and mm. that land could produce 10, 10, a hundred times the amount of produce mm. on one hectare. On one hectare, you'd have maybe like one cow or two cows. Um, I'm not sure how much meat that's going to produce or milk in mm. dollar values, but it's not much compared to a whole hectare planted with a mixed forest and mm. fruit trees. Yeah, some of the information I've seen is one head of cattle requires 12 and a half acres or five hectares, mm. and it only feeds one person. Mm. On five hectares, you could feed a number of families. Yeah. yeah. And the actual crops that are planted, you know, we, we, we plant crops that not produce, like wheat, so, you know, they're not very productive crops. You can actually grow super, super crops mm. that uh, would be much better. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving this interview yes. um, because, you know, I'm not disregarding all of the global issues and the social issues. So, I mean, it's, it's one thing to 
We want to be aware of these global issues and these social issues, but we don't want to be so bogged down by the mess, the fear-based messages that are continually being pumped out by the media streams and even in Australia and alternative media that we feel defeated by it. And this feels inspiring. I mean, I, I really like this. This is making me feel like, you know, we're focusing on solutions and things that we can do as opposed to what we can't do. Because far too often when we bring up issues, people say, I know there's nothing we can do. Um, what can I do? You know, and that's not helpful. <laughs> I, I know there's a lot going on in the world. I certainly feel it when I see it. But we can do a lot, as we've seen and as we've heard here. As individuals, we're very powerful, very yes. creative, and certainly making me wanting to live in a community like the Anastasia mm. sort of ringing cedars model. It sounds like a really lovely model. Mm. So... Yeah, I mean, um, one, one of the interesting uh, bit of statistics that we worked out with it um, in Australia, you know, when we mentioned the idea of perhaps depopulating the cities, people go into fear and then they say, oh, no, where are you going to put all those people? Mm. Um, but if you do some calculations, uh, Australia is approximately 2,000 by 3,000 kilometres. Uh, so you're talking about 6 million square kilometres. We have a huge amount of land. Mm, we yeah. certainly do. And it's a huge amount of land in Russia too, mm. right? So mm. it's about 6 million square kilometres. Uh, it's actually about 7 million square kilometres. And let's, let's assume that there's about 7 million families um, uh, in Australia. And so each family... If you spread them out evenly across Australia, each family could have a whole one kilometre by one kilometre. Really? Well, if you calculate that... You have to take the death of that. Seven million families divided into... into I'm not getting this right. <laughs> 2,000 by 3,000 into 6 million square... 7 million... It's approximately 7 million square kilometres. Yeah, that's correct. 7 million families divided into... 7 million square kilometres is one kilometre square for each family. Well, it's a good. huge amount of land. It's, yeah, it's probably right. too much to manage. For yeah, yeah, or if you, if you turn the figures the other way around, we only need 1% of the land. If, if, you, if you gave every family one hectare of land, you only need 1% of the land in Australia to do that model. Yeah, it's more than enough land. It's just yeah. uh, And somebody, somebody told us earlier on um, that well, uh, the majority of Australia is, is arable, fertile. It's, yeah, the statistic I read fairly recently was 420 million hectares of arable land in Australia, mm -hmm. 420 million. So if you give each family one hectare, and one hectare could provide for maybe a family of maybe up to six people, maybe even eight. You know, that's like, <laughs> it's a lot of land for, you know, but at current times, the way things are planned out, it will not allow land to be used for that purpose. It has to be 100 hectares of farming land, mm. 40 hectares or 200 Make hectares, production. and just, yes. you know, one crop, in there, which is really wasteful and destructive too because of the farming techniques used today, um, if people don't know, really unsustainable because, um, I mean, not only are they growing one crop, which half the time, like, for instance, cotton, as I was driving up here, I went through fields and fields of cotton. Mm. All that cotton's going to somewhere, another, another country. A lot of the crops aren't even staying here. They're just being sold. Right. Um, so it's not, I mean, this is part of the economic model of the world, this gross domestic product yeah. model, which is really flawed and part of the mm. economic problem or model that doesn't work mm. because how much a country produces and sells to another country isn't sustainable because we need to really be giving land to people and letting them live sustainably. Mm. Yeah, and if, if, if you drive from Melbourne to Sydney, 99% of the, the, the drive is just open country. I've seen that. No, no trees. Yeah. There's yeah, strips. Yeah. Who yeah. owns this land? Well, how come it's not in the hands of the people? Mm. It must mm. be in the hands of the corporation. I, I remember the first time I realised this, I was driving up through, I don't know where we were coming from, Armadale to Sydney to Armadale or which direction we were coming in, but I'm going along and I'm looking at all these fields as far as you can see and, and I'm thinking, wow, there's no, you know, the grass isn't tall. Who's mowing all of these lawns? And then I realised, and this is a silly thing, but I, I see cows and I'm going, 
they're stripping the land. You know, it just doesn't make it. This is not a good use of resources. And actually, you know, having, of course, we're, we're vegan and um, we're, you know, not interested in using meat, not just because of the ethics of it, but because it, it actually, it's not a very efficient way of using right. it. They, they, how many litres of water does it go towards you know, raising a cow. It's, it's just incredible. It's just not, not an efficient system. No. Plus it's contributing to, you know, raising various kilogram green, greenhouse right. gases. It doesn't mm. make sense. No. So, well, this is very, it, it's good news if, if people take this up. It is. But um, how to put this into action. I mean, obviously the, there's a lot of communities arising, but maybe not enough to actually... Well, Taylor raised before that there's about 400 um, weaning Caesars type communities in Russia. In Russia. So yeah. why isn't it working uh, that well in Australia? I could offer that um, in Australia, the life in the city is pretty good. And if you, if, even if you're not working, you can get welfare mm -hmm. and all this sort of thing. Social. And you can, you can live like a king without having to work or anything like that. But I don't think that's the case in Russia. Uh, you probably know better than I would, because I haven't been there, so... Um, I didn't spend much time in any cities, um, and I think they have some kind of welfare payment, but it's not as much mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. it is in Australia. I mean, I kind of see welfare now as, I mean, it's sort of necessary, but at the same time, it's disempowering. Mm -hmm. It's very disempowering because I've worked with people that have yeah. been on unemployment welfare payments for yeah, a long time, mm -hmm. and they, you know, I've been on it myself for mm -hmm not a really long time, but a couple of years, and it, it slowly you start to just kind of go... Lose your motivation and ambition, mm -hmm. maybe. Well, yeah. Whereas if someone gave me a piece of land, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not everyone could do, would know what to do with it, but I would just be happy to do that instead of paying me money. Mm -hmm. Just give me some land. And, I'll, and, I'll and of course, one, one way of influencing the population to do this is to actually give them knowledge. And mm -hmm. this sort of how to, to grow crops is mm -hmm. not something that's that's uh, taught in our um, usual sort of school structure. Of course, it's, it's taught in things like uh, perhaps uh, Steiner schools, but we're, we're not teaching... General academic we're not teaching our, our children how There's to... Practical life skills. Yeah, definitely. We, we probably should be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when I got out of school, that's when I really started learning and discovering things. You know, <laughs> wow, well, I, I can agree with that. <laughs> what was all that rubbish? Right. I wasted six, 12 yeah. years. You might have heard Carlisle, uh, who's done some lectures on video, and he, he says, um, well, 100 years ago, about 90% of the population knew how to plant seeds. Mm. Today, it's only less than 10% knew how, know how to plant seeds. But gee, we can, we've got, what, math, physics, history, uh, <laughs> various calc, you know. Yeah, it's uh, very, it's, <laughs> it's very, um, you know, it's sort of, it all supports this the current paradigm, the current paradigm, and this idea and specialization of yeah. people's knowledge to really put us out of our hearts and our bodies and our, mind, our feeling sense. And that's something that reading Reading Cedars really brings you back to the that feeling mm. of nature and this mm. connection with nature. Mm. If you follow that, that's that's a really good thing. Like. Another name that uh, uh, Kins, it's been called a few things, this idea of a one hectare home for, for a family. Um, one of it's a Kins domain in early translations, and more recently it's a family homestead. And now the term is a space of love. Mm -hmm. And the space of love, the reason for those words is it is really about that connection and love you have for your garden, your plants. You actually know each plant and you plant them with love, mm. and ideally you plant them with your partner with love. Mm. Thinking of your future children, mm. and this is a really significant, profound effect when mm. these plants have this feeling connection with you, they can bring in incredible knowledge and energy, mm. light and love into that mm. space. And we know that plants do respond to love. Absolutely. Yeah, that's pr it's pretty much proven. Another metaphysical teacher, Rampho, uh, just a little quote from there is find a piece of land and love it because it'll love you back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I like that. that. <laughs> and that also like accelerates our thoughts and heals mm. our bodies and our minds mm. because the other some of the information revealed in Anastasia's revealed in Ring Cedars is um, a technique of planting seeds um, and giving the seeds your information, your DNA. Vibration, right. 
by putting the seed under your tongue, um, letting it soak in the saliva, okay. breathing on it, holding it up to the nose, yeah. yeah. and basically this allows the seed to determine exactly what it needs to draw up from the earth to okay. give to your body because it basically knows what's going on right. in your body right. because you've given it this information. Hmm. She says, this, this is the basic technique. She says, and like, this will heal any ailments and even wow. DNA inherited um, conditions can be healed. That's amazing. That's something I've like never heard You're before. making the crop to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And the, the fruit it will produce is like literally for your body. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, there's great intelligence in the, uh, in the light. And uh, I've done a presentation on the importance of trees and how we are demolishing our parents. Now, that, that implies that trees might be more highly evolved than animals. I actually think that might be true. So it could be true because, mm. uh, you know, they, they just do their thing. They, mm. they capture the energy from of the cosmos and absorb the energy of the sun and the mm. air. And, and they also draw in the nutrients from the earth. And then they unconditionally feed mm. Um, the animals, you know, and they don't complain about it. It's all, it's all unconditional, it's all giving, mm. uh, and you know, they don't complain about it. They're, mm. Maybe they're evolved species, just mm. like the earth itself is a sentient being, yes. according to uh, many indigenous cultures. Mm. Mm. Well, there could mm. be some um, basis there. I, you know, that might sound like a crazy idea, but I, I, I'm in agreement with you that it's possible that plant life is the most intelligent species on the planet. Well, Anastasia talks about how one of the quotes from the books is that the cataclysms of 1992 did not happen because in Russia there was something like 20 or 30 million families that they, they were starving. And um, somebody in the government had the foresight to give the land back to the people. And those people started working the earth with their bare hands, not with contraptions, not with machines. And the earth, as a sentient being, can feel all those pairs of hands mm. and gave it the, um, the courage to carry on with us. You know, otherwise, it would be throwing us off the planet. So, so basically, we can heal the earth by having this close individual connection with you, yeah. by planting seeds and giving love Yeah, the back. earth is host, hosting mm. us, mm. right? But if we get um, too far out of hand, it's like mm. our own bodies, like getting a rash, mm. and it'll just throw us off. So we can recognise that. And there's a number of other pointers that the early 1990s is when the cataclysm was supposed to occur, and they did not happen. Uh, one of the very powerful ones was from the um, Power versus Force books, oh, okay. uh, the, the kinesiology book. And he, he did a map of consciousness from mm -hmm. zero to a thousand, mm -hmm. and the midpoint was about 200. Now, before 1992, the human race was below the index of 200, and that's destructive. He couldn't explain it, but after 1992, it jumped to above 200 which means we didn't have to go through the right. annihilation scenario, which seemed to be uh, evident from material that we were accessing in the 1980s. You know, it didn't have to happen. Okay. It also means that we've got, we've got a lot of work to do. To do. Yes. We're still a very primitive species. We have a, a great opportunity now to awaken as a species, and but there is a danger. Mm. There is a danger that we could keep on evolving exponentially, technologically, without evolving spiritually. Mm. That could be our superiority complex. So we, yeah, we well, really need our hearts to evolve rather than yeah. our it, technology. very powerful information. It's sort of, saying spiritual that I think biological, mm -hmm. because I'm saying the technological path of, of technology that everyone thinks it's great, mm -hmm. oh, we've got all these gadgets mm -hmm. and oh, wow, yeah. look at all this stuff, oh, well, what's coming next? <laughs> <laughs> But it's like it's actually taking us further and further away from our abilities and from nature and from what we're capable of. That's right. You can use telepathy instead of having to get on your, your button. Yeah, exactly. Well, you can. But the mobile phone, then again, is a stepping stone towards that. It's mm -hmm. to show us that we can do this. Yeah. Right. Um, but at some stage, in order to get into the spiritual paradigm, we have to transcend the physical. Well, this is sort of. Well, that's where I don't. I kind of don't think it's transcending the physical. I think it's creating a garden because these fruits and this garden, this idea of creating a family homestead, 
is what is going to evolve spiritually and biologically to a higher level so that our thoughts are clearer and our mind and our abilities are far advanced from what they are today. And they'll only show up in the children that are raised and born in these gardens. Sure. And in Russia now there's children that are, that are growing that are going to have a significant impact, I think, on the world because of the way they've been born and their awareness and their connection with nature. Mm. Um, because really eating, if you think about eating what you eat every single day and what you breathe and the water you drink, it's all affecting our consciousness. When and you are what you eat. Yeah, and that's why sense. this is a spiritual thing. To create a garden is probably one of the most spiritual acts you can, you can perform. And it's, mm. to me, that's spirituality now. Yeah. Mm. I, um, my first book was, um, I wrote it in 2001. One of my first big books in 2011 was uh, Illusion of the Body. And um, it was a, a lot of it, a lot of the information, uh, it was kind of channeled, but also a lot of it I took from a book called Secret Life of Plants, uh, which was amazing. It was amazing to what I learned from that about plants and about the intelligence of plants and um, it, it just brought me to such a higher awareness and, and appreciation of life and creation and just took me out of myself and out of my mind in terms of what I thought I knew. The revelations that I got in writing that found change in my thinking about life and reality. So. Well, it's interesting that you're saying that planting a garden might be one of the most spiritual things you could do. I never thought about it that way. It's a, so we, we invite our, our viewers and our listeners out there to perhaps start planting their own gardens, perhaps to ring to, to read the Ringing Seeders series and perhaps to consider you know, what we can do in the future and ways in which we can change um, the way in which we live in order to help us evolve as a species. Yeah. I love the interview. Thank you for being on our show, you. Taylor and George. And thank you, George. Great interview. <laughs> and thank uh, you, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye to all our uh, listeners um, from uh, Universal Solar. And I hope you join us again next time. And I hope we've planted some seeds for your garden. That's right. I hope, you know, I hope you've enjoyed this interview as much as we have. We, we, we can make another episode sometime. Oh, yeah, so there's heaps of information yes. we could share, but anyway, that's... Um, Lots of love. Lots of love from <laughs> Universal Solar. Bye for now. <laughs>